Let's do a podcast, Matt. The Trojan Horde. Are you sure? The right. fifth column. Column. I know it's column, disappointing column. to see here, my face. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... I mean, it's good that you have an internet connection now because um, I think you pointed out that a commenter was uh, praising me. I like when they praise me. That's really fun. Uh, that's true. Editing, not, even just, <laughs> not just one, but two. It, and it was, uh, it was heroic <laughs> because... Uh, on the last members only, which I did from the Exclusivo Motel in yes. Long Beach or as Lakewood, you, California. Yeah. Um, it, uh, that they was couldn't a see me. Edit. Yeah. They had There's no idea. There's a reason it came out two days later. So not one day later, not the same evening. It was a bit of a, a bit of a lift. Um, but now we have you in New York, right? Back in New York. Boy. Yeah. Boy, back in New York. You know, uh, I was reflecting at five in the morning as the cab was going from Newark airport and just rattling through the bomb craters of, you know, the 95 and, uh, and uh, lower Manhattan and whatnot. It's basically like driving the, from the, like the, the airport road from Sarajevo around 1994, right? Where you have yeah. to like, yeah, yeah, you have to pay someone a hundred Deutschmarks to swerve and not get bombed. Um, well, I noticed when I was in the Upper East Side yesterday that the cameras appear to be there, and I think they appear to be for the for the congestion charge, which is coming soon, right? Oh, good. The, yeah. yeah. And that's going totally, totally right. for transportation needs and not at all just to feather the beds of a government that's starving for money because, no, no, you know, well, $100 billion, I, that's not enough. I interviewed the comptroller. Uh, what's his name? That fucking idiot. Lander? <laughs> During, no, the one before. What's his name? I can't okay. blank on his name. But, Sean, um, like, Stringer or something? Yeah, 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 Scott Stringer. It, it, was, it was the beginning of COVID. I was doing a piece for the Showtime show. And he was like, we are just fucked and our, our budget gap is going to be so huge and how are we going to make it up? And I was like, you know, you'll find a way. You will absolutely find a way to soak everybody in the city, as you always do. And that is the frustration with the city. I mean, look, the thing that I that we talked about with Tucker Carlson a little bit, and I did a, a Reason podcast. I haven't done a Reason thing in a long time. I did a Reason podcast with um, the great um, Zach Weissmuller, uh, the, yeah. I think, brother of Tarzan, Johnny Weissmuller, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, the great Liz Wolf, who's, who, as I texted you later, is, is terrific. And she's, um, uh, she's wonderful. Yeah. She's uh, smarter than she's ever been. And she's uh, sharp as a tack and knows. I mean, I, I was I'm very impressed with her. I'm, I have been for a while now, but uh, we talked about the Tucker Carlson thing. And you know, the premise, this is the one thing I should give him a tiny bit of credit for the premise about why things don't function in American cities is the right one. His solution, his answer is totally insane, is completely divorced from reality. It is the classic political pilgrim. I'm going to find it in this foreign capital. But it is actually true that when you walk around New York City these days, um, you do long for the 90s, the late 90s, not the early 90s, the late 90s, the early 2000s. Even the aughts, even yeah. the fucking aughts, even the the teens. I long for my yeah. early days in New York. I came here in 2012. Uh, no, I, I had that flash in my head um, when coming after spending a week in California, very, very glorious week in which... Had Shabbat dinner at Hialeah's and saw a whole bunch of Busty Wimsat was out there and Yael and uh, a bunch of other absolute stalwart Jay, obviously. Um, and uh, 
I will. I, I think I have to bury the lead um, until we stop recording about um, the special guests that they met at the Ask a Jew meetup in L.A. But um, mm-hmm. uh, no, you're there and it's gorgeous and it's great. And you always look around and ask yourself, why would I not live here instead of New yeah, York? Yeah, and yeah. California and New York both have fundamentally the same issue, which is the, which is a, the success curse. People will always, mm-hmm. rich people will always want to live in California because it's awesome. It's the most beautiful place on the planet. Um, and it's where Hollywood and entertainment industry and a bunch of other industry besides are people will always want to live in New York because it's good for our business, right? It's good to have a podcast studio mm-hmm. to go to and, and things to go to and intellectual stimulation that leaves, you know, all the transplants from New York who live in LA, they feel a little bit, um, bereft because they don't have as much of that stuff as we do. And so if you have these successful places that have these gigantic built-in advantages in the richest country on the earth then you can run them like absolute fucking like like warlords like oligarchs like like in, incompetent greed bag fuckwits um because people yeah. will still stay you're going to hollow out everything that's like the middle class um the, it'll be unaffordable it'll be did stanky you, did you see this nothing t- will work well there was this tweet that i saw a lot of people responding to and responding to it in a very funny way but um often in a wrong way, um, even when they were funny and even when they were on the right side of the issue, there was somebody who, you know, was pointing out how awful the subway was and it was something about the subway. And the DSA type person responded like, right. yeah, thanks capitalism or, you know, capitalism. It's like, are you, like, this is the only bit of the city where capital, not the only bit, one of the major bits of the city where capitalism is just not in play at all. It's not like you can take the other subway. And, you know, punish this subway because their service is so bad. It is literally the government that is doing this. It is literally the government that is the problem that makes a subway that is so dysfunctional. And if you look at the New York Times, it's a great story about this, weirdly, about how much the union um, has, the MTA's union, has completely ruined everything. And it's why, I mean, I can't, I mean, you look at the price increases just on taking the subway here. And they were like the the like the weekly card was like when I first moved here it was like seventeen bucks, and it just kept on going up and up and up. In the of course the service kept on getting worse and worse and worse, and that's not generally how it happens or should happen. Um, but that's how it happens in New York, and it's hilarious that people are like, "This is you know capitalism run amok." No, no, no. Capitalism is what makes money in New York City. The government is what wastes money in New York City. And that is, these are two very, very different things. So very frustrating to, to see. And also um, just to shout out to my recent foundation, Homeboys, who uh, work on uh, transportation issues, Bob Poole, American Hero, um, will always tell you that most of New York City's uh, rail transit, subways and such like, uh, were built by the private sector. Um, they were uh, yeah. privately operated and owned and then later commandeered into some horrible Port Authority-like uh, Borg of the New York City subway system, which, you know, the governance of which has to go through Albany, because that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. The way to run a subway is very simple. is a very complicated thing, but there's one simple element to it, which is that you have a public-private partnership in which a private company runs a subway. And if they do a bad job of it, they stop making money and they get fired. And then somebody else comes in with a bid 
and they run the subway. And if they do it poorly, they get fired. There is when, Once you introduce an incentive into the New York City subway, as so many places throughout the world have done, by the way, that, they, that when they doesn't run well, they can them and they bring in a new company to run the subway and they make money off of it. But they don't make all of the money, but they make money off of it and there's an incentive for them to do well. When there's no incentive, it's a very. I, it, this is the thing I keep on talking about in this podcast. And I don't know why I do, and it's such a boring thing. And I know everyone says, "God, again." I know what you're saying. This is very, very basic stuff. But just go to a New York City website. Go to a DMV website. Go to any. Try to get anything on a website. There's something called Acris in New York, which I use all the time because you can look up people's mortgages. Like they, you can find a lot number and what how much they paid for the apartment, etc. It's particularly fun Does when it, it comes have to a journalists. Little- does it have a little like side thing so you can see which uh, private uh, Horace Mann uh, prep school they went to? No, because they, they're all the same. You know exactly. It's all St. Anne's <laughs> or, or Dalton. So you just know. They don't even bother with that. But you go to that thing and like it is the most hilarious website. Like it, it's 1995. I mean, all of them are 1995. And it's like, well, why are the only websites I ever see that barely function that use technology from 7,000 years ago? Why are they always just the New York State government ones and the U.S. government one too? But why is that Why is that the case? Well, what's the incentive for them to make it better? Why would they make it better? Why do they, what's the incentive to make the DMV work better, faster, more efficient for you? There isn't. There's, if somebody was making money off of this that wasn't the state, some individual, one would imagine. I was in, um, last night I was in um, Whole Foods in uh, Columbus Circle on 59th Street, right, uh, uh, right at the... Um, bottom of the park there. And it goes down, you go into that Time Warner Center, it goes down, there's a big one. And I was looking at this and I rem- I was literally thinking of this when I walked through, I said, do you remember when people used to call um, uh, Whole Foods a whole paycheck? That was like an oh, early yeah. joke because yeah. it was so expensive. And it's like, and I remember John Mackey when I had dinner with him one time and uh, related to reason and saying that, no, if you look at now, like our 365 products, which is their base product that they make, the Whole Foods ones, it's just the same as any other grocery store. And people, have, but people started realizing that, and they made that place so efficient and so well run. There's so many people in there. It, it, like in New York City, it is absolutely insane. And somehow you get through the line in ten minutes. It looks like a line to get into like a Yankee game. And somehow everything works. Everything is good. It's like, well, John Mackey says like a hyper capitalist. I know he's no longer in charge of the company, but when he was. He made that company very efficient and he made it very successful because he made money off of it and all the people up top did. It's like, this is 101 capitalism stuff. And why do you even have to say that? Particularly to you have very smart uh, listeners. Well, we're actually in a time now where the two major parties are, are people are both run by people who despise capitalism. And you had Javier Millet uh, who, whether he's successful or not in Argentina, is a fucking hero for a million reasons, giving a lecture to the boneheads at C- CPAC about- Political Action Conference. Yes. Annual yeah. horror fest of activists who gather near Washington, D.C. We used to go to, we don't anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an ex- a great example of, of, you know, this kind of cultural capture of people who are just like movement, quote unquote, movement conservatives that don't have any ideas. They don't even have an ideology. They have a, they have a person in Donald Trump or they have a kind of cultish. They don't, it's not like in the past where 
you would have Bill Buckley as the leader of the conservative movement. There was an anti-Bill Buckley book that was put out by, I think, the John Birch Society uh, called Bill, uh, Bill Buckley Pied Piper of the Conservatives because he was just the pie. They were all mm-hmm. following him. And they were that if that was true, it was because he was an ideas man. You can dislike him, but he was an ideas man. There are no ideas people here. The only person you saw there who was an ideas person was Millet, who was telling them exactly what they didn't want to hear. And I think they were clapping because I don't think they understand. I don't think you know any better. Because he was saying, like, free market economics is the way um, that countries like mine get out of poverty in defeat inflation, stagflation. And he was basically saying that this kind of, um, I don't even know how, what, what we would even, what would we even call it's not even just protectionism. It's worse than that in some ways. How, I mean, it's mercantilism. I mean, it's just, mercantilism, it's industrial policy. It's all the bad things. Yeah. And he was pissing all over that, but nobody really got it. <laughs> nobody didn't really realize it. So, well, I mean, because he, he accomplishes the, uh, the mythical kind of libertarian populism that uh, those who are attracted to, the exercising of political power are always forever trying to get to, and they can't really make it work in America. But um, he accomplishes it because he's this crazy guy. His eyes blaze with insanity, and he's got a big, beautiful, crazy Nick Gillespie haircut, and he's just yelling, afuera, at all times, and so, and like getting chainsaws out. And so he attracts that kind of, he's a rock star in Trump world, even though his economic message couldn't be more um, anti that kind of Trump, Le Pen, you know, modern kind of mercantilist, nationalist, conservative that we see all over the world right now. He's against all of that. He doesn't have much in common with that, um, except for the word afuera. And he's anti-abortion as well. And that's, there's not really a whole lot more than that. But they, I think they respect game, right? Um, So at least there's that. I'm happy that he went to seat back. It no, is a problem, it, but at least, you know, at least he went there. Uh, but then one must also add that so did for the first time, I believe in decades, the John Birch Society. This was their first time welcomed back into CPAC um, yeah. since 19 whatever. CPAC started in 74. I'm not sure exactly when oh, no, they, they were they, ever they were allowed there, no, no, they were there in 2010 when I was there. I didn't, I interviewed the guy. Okay. So they were, and, and but they were like a, cast were kicked aside. Out for yeah, they were after that they were kicked out, but that was like 2010 or 11. It was just, you know, crazyville. But they're back, uh, you know, with a vengeance. And I just wish the the people in uh, Trumpy world would acknowledge a couple of things. I mean, they it's this ridiculous fake interest in the working class and they only see this as, you know, as an electoral strategy. They they say, "Well, you can't win without these voters." And they, those people used to be like FDR Democrats. They used to love the New Deal and, and, and social programs that benefited them. And now we should get back to that. I think there are people that on the right that actually do very, very seriously, um, uh, are seriously concerned about stuff like that, are seriously interested in things like that. Uh, you know, our friend Batia, Unger Sargon, somebody who writes about that stuff, I know that she actually cares about that stuff quite a bit. And she has kind of left-wing economics because she believes in this stuff. And she has a... But, you know, the people that are the kind of avatars of that type of politics on the CPAC kind of continuum are people that care about winning elections. Because what they'll never tell you 
is that the only way you can have the politics that you have as a conservative today that have those types of, of economic policies is that if you had capitalism in the past, if you made a country of successful people who can, you know, like the time I interviewed that guy who was working at the factory, the aluminum factory or whatever it was, very nice guy. And in the middle of our interview in his house, his wife came back in with 600 Walmart bags. And I was like, what percentage of the stuff in those bags are from China, from Mexico, from, you know, that's, those are bags of free trade. And you don't want free trade because you think it hurts your job, but you benefit from free trade and all the stuff that you buy. And it's, you know, can people argue against that in the kind of David Otter from MIT way? Of course you can. And I think there's really interesting debates to be had about that. But they don't think about the fact, and most of the people, I mean, in the kind of MAGA world, don't think about the fact that if we didn't have this capitalism in this free market and this open trade policies that we've had for so long that are both the legacies of Republicans and Democrats, including people like Jimmy Carter, um, who deregulated things like the airline industry, the trucking industry, et cetera. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't be in a position to be making these arguments now. Because you're like, now I'm sort yeah. of satisfied in the basic of my life and the basics of the, you know, the goods that I can get and that all of us have you know, insane technology in our pocket. And that's because of trade. It's not because, you know, we make the products, we're a knowledge economy, and other people put them together. And then we can have the conversation about how we need to bring the jobs back home without any sense of how that's going to happen. Donald Trump, of course, was hilarious about that, particularly in Wisconsin, when he said, you know, all of these, they said they're going to make phones in America. They're going to make, and, that, and first of all, that was never going to happen. And it was Starcon, and this it was going to, it was going to be an assembly, and then it, and that never even happened. They had this enormous. So if you see government interaction to try to bring people in, like oh sorry, I said Starcon, I meant Foxconn, um, in Wisconsin, they're just they, they eminent domain people out of their houses. There was one holdout, and I went and did a piece with this person. And when I went to drive around to see what Foxconn had built. I was set upon by security guards and the police were called and all this stuff. And this was all with taxpayer money in Wisconsin. What, what, what ended up happening? Billions. Billions. What ended up happening? Nothing. They said, oh, well, we're, now we're going to not assemble phones here. We're going to uh, make screens, like um, computer screens. And it will be like the final stage assembly, which is just it's completely unnecessary to do that here. And then I don't even know where it ended up, if they even ended up doing anything. When I went back and visited it was, there was nothing there. But this was the result of those policies. But we don't have conversations like this. We have conversations about who's deranged and who is suffering from dementia and who isn't. We're not having policy discussions because the policy discussions that I would like to see on the right um, in particular is, you know, what is your economic message beyond I want to sell this ideology to the quote unquote working class and, you know, sort of middle of the road voters and liberal voters, to be honest. I don't know what it is. I don't have, there's no coherence to it. The Bill Buckleys of the world and those people that were kind of those avatars of conservatism back in the day, you knew exactly where they stood on everything. I'd have no sense of what the so-called intellectuals of MAGA world believe beyond some voodoo economics about, you know, let's bring it back home. How are you going to do that? Because you said that before, and not, never happened. Did did anyone hold Steve Bannon's feet to the fire and say, "Well, what, what?" So what actually happened? Where did it go wrong? It's sloganeering. It's not. It's not. It's not real policy.
Hey, Michael, speaking of jobs that are being lost <laughs> in the world and economy, I am wondering if you would like to listen to a listener email yes. and perhaps respond, having to do with the place that um, you used to work for. Uh, this it comes from uh, Jim in Boston, and uh, this yeah, uh, the subject line might mean something to you. I'm not really sure what it means. Uh, the Beanie Baby has spoken. Um, and he says, now that the final nail is in the coffin of Mr. Moynihan's former employer, we have gotten the expertise response from the Beanie Baby himself. Well, that's what it meant. A uh, one-time uh, vice correspondent, and he adds, LOL, Tim Pool, who claims he, quote, could have saved vice if they only listened to him. <laughs> Yeah, that's what happened. That's what that would have. I, we, totally. Everybody, Has, everybody that backs. overlapped with him I, I, uh, has but, stories about 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 how unbelievably hilarious it was to work with uh, Tim Pool. I will finish up. I did find it fascinating that they still had nine hundred people employed after the twenty twenty three bloodbath. All yeah. those jobs gone with the wind over the next week. I take no glee in this. Continues Jim from Boston. I enjoyed Michael's reporting there. It's largely what led me to the fifthdom uh, in the first place. Vice had some of the best reporting on the ground during Euromaidan and the overthrow True. of yeah. Yanukovych with Simon Ostrovsky True. and Moynihan's dispatches yeah, over great. there. So bizarre yeah. to see the beanied one dancing on their grave with some MAGA moron in that YouTube clip. Such is life in journalism, scare quotes, in 2024. Here today, Beanied tomorrow wanted to see if Michael had any final words for a one-time amazing powerhouse of original reporting that he was a tremendously important part of RIP Vice. Um, huh. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to say here, I think. And, uh, you know, I've been asked to say it in different uh, fora. I don't know when or how I will do that. Or you didn't think I was going to give you that one for nothing, did you? But yeah, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot to say. Yeah, there's a lot, lot more about my previous employer that uh, I talk about at some length with some measure of frustration. So if you go over to wethefifth.substack.com, you can probably hear the rest of that. You can't probably, you will hear the rest of that. And uh, we appreciate it. And we appreciate all of you people who do subscribe but if you do subscribe, you're not hearing this. You'll be hearing the whole episode and you won't get this annoying sample and me annoyingly beseeching you to go over to wethefifth.substack.com and subscribe. So uh, do so and we'll see you for a free episode, all of us together in New York City uh, this week in a couple of days, Camille, Matt, myself, all sitting around the same table. And those episodes are always very fun. So we will see you soon.